Before we begin this evening's episode of the Manchester Movie Morgue podcast, an apology from your hosts. After our episode, which discussed the 1986 canon film Over the Top, where we consigned the Sylvester Stallone arm-wrestling opus to the morgue, we, in retrospect, feel that we've been too harsh. Last week, we spared Charlie Sheen vehicle the wraith from the eternal torment of the morgue, and it was pointed out correctly that Over the Top is at least the equal of this film. To that extent, and following the example of double-impeached world leaders, we are ready and willing to offer Over the Top a pardon, meet it halfway, and release it from the morgue effective immediately. We are sorry. We are sorry. We are sorry. After such an unfortunate episode, we feel it's only right and proper to leave the final word to Sir Kenneth of Loggins over the top rises again. Time to set foot inside the morgue with your hosts, Lee, Carl, and Rob. Tonight we're looking at the 1968 film Charlie Bubbles, uh, which was ri- which was um, starring and directed by Albert Finney. And we've chosen this episode tonight because, um, being the Manchester Movie More film cast, we've uh, we've wanted to uh, celebrate one of Manchester's uh, favourite cinematic sons, um, and. I think it wasn't too long ago that he, he actually passed away on um, February the 7th of 2019. So we thought, as it's only been a few days since then, we'd, uh, we'd mark his passing. Now, we, we actually ran a poll to uh, see which film we'd review tonight. We, we had the choice of Charlie Bubbles, um, Looker, and Wolfen. And Charlie Bubbles, to my surprise, I must say, kind of came out on top. So that's the one that we're looking at tonight. Um, we'll go into that a little bit more later on, um, but we'll do our usual thing of um, going around and seeing what we've been uh, what we've been watching over the last couple of weeks since the last episode. Again, not watched too much recently. I watched the Netflix film called The White Tiger, based on Aravind's Adiga's 2008 novel by the same name. It's a rags to riches story uh, about a boy who comes from a poor Indian village and is forced to drop out of school when his father dies. Uh, he has a dream to break free from poverty and servitude, and the film bears similarities uh, to Danny Boyle's uh, Slumdog Millionaire. But the film makes it clear that there's no game show. It actually mentions that there's no no magic game show that's going to save him from poverty. So he has to basically use all his wit and his cunning to escape from his poor village and, and through crime and, and ruthlessness. And halfway through, the film takes quite a dark twist and shows India's dark side in, in the same way as Slumdog Millionaire did, but with uh, with more cynicism, more realism. Really, there's no there's uh, no dancing at the end. There's no no Bollywood dancing at the end of the film. But it's <laughs> it's well worth a watch. It, it's kind of one of those movies that stays with you a little bit 
after you've watched it, you know, it makes you think. And also I watched Slumdog Millionaire afterwards as well because uh, it got, got me in the mood. <laughs> of course. A good film like that sometimes will um, kind of uh, jog a memory of a different film, won't it? You think, oh, I need to watch, uh, I need to watch that again. Mm. Uh, perhaps and give that a give that a revisit. Good stuff. Um, I've watched loads of films in the last couple of weeks. I, I I can't really condense them, but I suppose the ones of note that I've seen. I watched a new Netflix film called The Dig, which oh I can't even remember who's in it now. Um, but it's about a um, it's got Ray Fiennes in it, and um, it's set just before just on the eve of World War Two, kind of breaking out. And uh, this lady landowner, what's she called? Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. Sorry. Um, yes, so Kerry Mulligan yeah. is in in the dig as well, and uh, she's a female landowner who's got these kind of um, um, kind of hills on her land, and she wants to know what's underneath them. And so she gets this um, excavator in, who's played by Ray Fiennes, to uh, come and have a look. And they, I, I won't spoil any bit, but they, you know, they they find something in there, and they, and it becomes um, uh, an object of kind of local local interest and uh, and eventually national interest as well um it's just you know um, a story about how the uh, kind of local versus national um the kind of the initial excavator against the team that comes in later who kind of a bit dismissive of him and his methods and so on um it wasn't it's not known my cup of tea but i but it's it wasn't a bad film I'd, I'd certainly recommend it if you're in the mood it's just under two hours i think and it's uh it's, it's quite entertaining um and the other film I saw was uh, it was a BBC iPlayer um, film, uh, one I'd never seen before. It's got it's Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. It's called All the President's Men, and it's kind of like a very oh, it's, it's kind of a very factual it, yeah. but also kind of dramatised uh, account of the um, the Watergate um, breaking scandal from the uh, mid nineteen seventies, and uh, the fictionalised part is the. Um, the, the two the two stars play the reporters Woodward and Bernstein, who um, kind of uncovered the um, the uh, the conspiracy, and were able to kind of investigate it and make it and make it public. Um, and this might be the second time this this week that we talked about um, presidential impeachments, but uh, there we go. Who who would have? I wasn't expecting that, uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> there we go. So yeah, those, those my those my two main films this week. I think I, I have watched quite a few. Um, but yeah, I think those are the two that I've, uh, I've watched that are of, of note. Lovely. Um, okay, guys. So um, this week we're talking Charlie Bubbles. And um, this is a film that um, it's the only film directed by Albert Finney. He appears in it as well. Um, we'll talk later about his, his direction and um, perhaps why he didn't why didn't he never direct the film again. Um, but I'll give you a quick, uh, quick rundown of, of what happens in the film. Um, Charlie Bubbles opens up in London, uh, where Albert Finney, who plays Charlie Bubbles, is in a swanky London restaurant, somewhere like the Savoy or the Ritz. He's a, he's a successful writer, a northern lad made good in London, and he's been spoken to by his business associates um, about residual payments and tax avoidance, things that are of, clearly of no interest to him. His eyes wander the room, whereupon he spots an old friend and fellow writer, Smokey Pickles, who must have the, the, the world's best character name. Not long after, Charlie and Smokey engage in a Laurel and Hardy-style food fight in which uh, none of the regulars of the restaurant seem to bat an eyelid as they cover, cover each other in spaghetti and cream and, and all sorts of different foodstuffs. The pair escape, and they have a day on the town in London. Uh, engaging in what could be considered uh, working men's pastimes, like smoking, drinking, 
snooker and going to the bookies. A day ends with Smokey considerably drunker, the drunker of the pair, back at Charlie's flat, where it transpires that he has two housekeepers, an elderly, an elderly gentleman and a lady, working for him. After dropping off a paralytic Smokey at his house to sleep it off, Charlie and his, um, and his secretary come lover, Miss Hayho, played by Liza Minnelli in her very first film role, travel north to Manchester up the recently constructed M1 motorway. By morning, they've reached the Plaza Hotel in Manchester. They take Charlie's Rolls Royce to tour the barren streets of 1967 Hume, um, where, Charlie, uh, where Charlie once walked and came from. Miss Hayhoe later goes off by herself in search of relatives she hadn't seen in years. And Charlie uses this time to visit his ex-wife and son in what looks like Derbyshire. Um, he takes his son to watch a football match at Old Trafford. Uh, it looks like it's Manchester United versus Chelsea. But um, from behind the partition of a glass screen, his son becomes irritated with what seems to be his dad's kind of lack of knowledge about him and his interests and ends up going home by himself, sneaking away. Charlie spends several hours looking for his son and reporting him lost to the police before finding him later, just sat at home, fine and well with his mum. Charlie ends up staying the night in the house as he's so tired. The following day, Charlie wakes to see a hot air balloon in the distance, feeling neither at home in the high society of London or the places he came from up north in Manchester and Salford. Charlie gets inside the balloon, drops the sandbags and drifts away slowly into the distance. And that is a that is the brief synop- brief um, synopsis of Charlie Bubbles. So, I think you two. I, I think this is probably the artiest and the most highbrow we've ever been uh, on the Manchester Movie Mall Film Podcast. I honestly thought we we were going to be looking at probably Looker or or Wolfen for this one, but no, Charlie Bubbles. It is. I um, I really like the scenes early on, and the food fight just comes from nowhere. I mean, you you kind of watching it. It's you know, it's a it's a film from the 1960s set in London, and all of a sudden there's this kind of silent movie moment where they uh, they kind of hitting each other with food and pushing custard pies into their faces, and they're doing the Laurel Hardy thing of just taking it, aren't they? Just taking it and kind of grinning at the same time it does make it really really funny, and they 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 walk out of the place. It's, this behaviour is completely tolerated because. Um, because Charlie, Charlie Bubbles, is is now kind of a made man, and he gets out his wad of notes, doesn't he, on the way out to the to pay the bill, and he, it's kind of it's it's okay because he's he's wadded now. This behaviour is is acceptable from him. Whereas, I'm guessing years ago, the same character, you know, from Hume or from Manchester, would have um, that kind of behaviour would have been, you know, unacceptable, wouldn't it? And his his friend, who he kind of latches onto, you know, because he's, he's been spoken to by his business managers or whatever, and um, you know, he's just he's not engaged in what they're telling him at all. They're kind of trying to advise him on what to do with his money, and uh, he's he's just not engaged in it at all. And luckily, in on the other side of the room, he kind of spots um, he spots Smokey Pickles, his friend, who's also a writer. We find out as well, and maybe perhaps not as successful, but w- I, my guess was he's from the same kind of background that Charlie is. And so that's why kind of Charlie uh, kind of, you know, levitates towards him uh, in this scene because he wants to kind of get away from wherever it is there. It looks like it might be the Savoy or the Ritz or something. Um, and he, he wants to kind of get out with him and, you know, have, have a day of kind of ca- causing carnage, which is what they end up doing all the way through during the course of the day. I mean, uh, Smokey's getting drunker and drunker. And um, he keeps asking him in, in, in various different. He keeps kind of patting him in the back, Charlie, saying, "But you're all right, Charlie. You're all right." 
He will mm. pay, and he's trying to get something from him, isn't he? he can kind of it's like he can sense something's not right. And um, but Charlie, Charlie, like you say, he's detached. He's not giving anything back. Um, sorry, sorry, Lee. I've not really, not really asked you about this this particular kind of opening scene yet. What, what did you think about it? Well, I was a little bit worried when when this film won because it, I read that it was inspired by European art cinema, and I'm not really known for watching much European art cinema. Really, <laughs> so I was a tad concerned. But it had, as you say, quite a bit of charm, and it was a little bit. I mean, slapstick can put people off. I don't mind slapstick personally myself. I find it quite fun. Lauren Hardy quite funny. So when that happened, I was I started to smile. And as you said, when you had that early scene where they're they're on the lash and they're, they're uh, going down the escalator, that reminded me of something that perhaps we might have got up to back <laughs> when we were in our twenties and on the lash, you know, just doing doing something daft to amuse you, amuse your mate, and ju- just you and your mate, and you just you're just doing it to make him laugh, you know, and that that was quite endearing. Yeah, and also I kind of picked up on how much of this could be slightly an exaggerated version of, of uh, Albert Finney's life, you know, because I believe he did have a uh, divorced wife and, and child about the same age when, when this was filmed. At this stage of his career, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, he certainly related to it. He certainly related yeah. to the material. And it was written by... Um, uh, it was written as a straight as a screenplay by Sheila Delaney, who'd previously written uh, the play uh, Taste of Honey, which was uh, about t- probably 10 years prior to that as a, as a play. That was also uh, made into a film as well in the early 1960s. Um, but she was also um, she was also from Salford. And so she'd had success in her life too. And so it was it was definitely very much her story as well, I think. But Albert Finney must have seen it and thought, because um, his production company made this film, he must have seen the script and thought, well, yes, this is, you know, this is something I have to do. It's definitely a personal project. He plays it perfectly. He does. He, he's great in this. And it's and it really works that he's so detached all the way through. The, and later yeah. on, he kind of gets things wrong. And It's he, understated, he's, isn't it? Yeah, he's, he's allowing, he's sort of directing on, well, even while he's on screen, he's kind of letting the other actors... I think have their moment as well. You know, he's not. He, he could, I suppose, the kind of actor he is. He could sort of dominate every scene, really, couldn't he? But he's kind yeah. of he's quite understated in places, and not a lot of vo- uh, not a lot of dialogue in some places as well, which sometimes can be difficult to pull off. But the clever use of particularly those security cam screens as well later on, you know, yeah. little quirks like that definitely helped uh, keep keep you captivated. I thought that bit was really clever. That was it's a, it's a good ten minutes long that scene, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a really good scene. And um, one of the extras on the uh, on the Blu-ray, which which I have a copy of, um, talks about the the technical difficulty of doing that scene because they. And because of how technology was back then, they they had to basically record each section separately and kind of plan it in such a way that it all ran kind of concurrently in the right way, if you know what I mean. Because it's it's like nine nine screens going at once, or it must have been a nightmare to put all that together and then kind of superimpose the different bits of film on so that, you know, in such a way that, um, you know, it would seem like the, the... um, security camera footage, um, but it's it's a mesmerising scene, and, and, and again, it's it happens early on. It's it's like the early scenes. It's kind of another bit where you think, oh, this is really clever. But it's it's not just clever for cle- its own sake. It's it's entertaining as well. And it does give you a sense of what's going on in in Charlie's life at home. You know, again, yeah. he's it's his house, but it's it's all the other people who are kind of living in it and existing in there. And he kind of gets told off by the housekeepers, doesn't he? For 
you know, coming oh, back that's and, funny, and, yeah. and not not being able to tell him when he's going to come back and things like that. There must be so many people in, in that situation who just feel that their life is just completely out of their control, isn't it? They almost get swept along with the financial advisors and the the maids and this, that, and the other. And they're almost like a, a passive bystander, really, in their own lives. You know, even though they're, they're, they're so wealthy, he did a great job of uh, portraying that. I thought he's watching his own life through a screen. Even he's like a, he's just allowing it to pass by, and it's uh, yes, yeah, totally. it's great. And he's he's got. Um, um, we find out when we get to his place, he's got a uh, secretary who's also his kind of um, girlfriend, I suppose. Um, and she's played by Liza Minnelli in. Um, in her very first screen role. And I, I don't know why she was attracted to this part because I, I, I don't think at, at this stage she'd, she'd, she'd been in anything else. She didn't do another film after this for about another eight years either. So um, quite quite why she was kind of attracted to this. Or why Albert Finney thought, oh, yeah, we need you know we need to get Liza Minnelli. In fact, when they get to Manchester, I mean, she clears off. I mean, they, they spend a little time together when they arrive, but she goes off doing her, um, you know, looking into her family history, doesn't she? Mm, um, yeah. So I, I don't know if that's deliberate or, you know, if she she's like, she doesn't kind of say, oh, come along with me. Uh, maybe she thinks he's got other plans, but um, yeah, perhaps um, she's in love with the writer. I think that's definitely true. Um, and as personalities, they, they, they couldn't be more, they couldn't be more different. I mean, he's obviously a bit oh, older as well, isn't he? Um, she's quite, quite young at that point. Um, but she, I thought she's really, she's really good in the film, though. She, I mean, she, she, yeah. she gives a really good performance, and she's memorable in it as well. There's, there's one scene where um, uh, Charlie uh, takes his uh, Rolls Royce around the streets of uh, of Hume, and it, it's basically in the period of the '60s where they, they were just knocking down all the houses, and it, the place it's just like it's literally like a bomb site. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there was like, some wartime damage, but that was like you know 20 years prior. Um, you can see, and there are shots of the the flats that are going up. They were knocking down all the all the houses, of course, to put up flats, um, which was one of yeah. the world's worst architectural uh, ideas, I think. And for, the smoke uh, from all the uh, the smoke from all the coal fires as well. It was oh, just, wow, yeah. 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 one thing that struck me during these scenes where the Rolls Royce is going through um, going through Hume. Like, what on earth was would Liza Minnelli, you know, someone who's been brought up in well, perhaps not in the life of luxury because you know, I think I think her mum had uh, like ups and downs at various points of her life. But I wonder what she thought when she was flown over to Manchester and Hume and travelling travelling around the scene, seeing a place like that. It must have been a it must have been an eye opener for her, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And this this role, perhaps tellingly for her, has no there's no singing or dancing involved as well. It's kind of just um, yeah. it's a straight acting role, isn't it? So. Perhaps you're right. Perhaps it was like a, a stripes kind of earner. Project. Yeah. And also, uh, I think there is an interview with her in the, uh, from the book. Uh, sorry, from the uh, the book inside the Blu-ray, uh, which is an interview with her that she did uh, just after the film was released, and she said that it was like you know she wanted to work with you know an actor's actor like Albert Finney. Oh yeah, yeah. So, uh, perhaps just his name being attached, and uh, I think it got a big distribution in the in the states, or there's a big studio attached. Universal going to release it. So perhaps that was a bit of a bit of a pull as well. One of the things I thought was really interesting was when when they finally kind of leave London, and there's there's quite a lengthy scene where they they're traveling up the um, the M1 motorway, which is only a few years old at that point. I think it was constructed in 1959, and um, 
you know, this was only eight or so years later. And there's, there's a good scene where they kind of stop off at the service station. That's brilliant. The service station circa 1967 looks looks cool. You know, it, it's like, it's a place I'd really like to go and hang out and get a cup of coffee and perhaps, you know, in time to come by smoking a cigarette or something. Um, but it, it, looked like, it looked like a lot of fun, the, uh, the 1967 service station. Um, and there they pick up... Um, they pick up a sol- is it a soldier or is he a chap in the navy? An RAF guy, isn't he? Also, RAF, I think. yeah, and he's on he's yeah. on leave, and uh, again, he's another one who's who's seen what he can get out of of Charlie, isn't he? Can I can you sign this and can I get a lift there? And that's true, that's true. Yeah, because it's not just um, he's not just saying, "Oh, can I have a lift?" Which I think would have been, you know fine um but yeah he's uh, as the journey goes on he kind of wants kind of wants a bit more and a bit more of him and one thing that struck me about the film is that i, I was thinking of other films from the late 1960s like i don't know um here we go around the mulberry bush or something like that that from the same time period you watch them now and they're kind of fun but at the same time they're kind of a bit they're trapped in the in the period in which they were made whereas this i think it doesn't necessarily strike you, apart from some of the kind of architectural things and maybe the service station. It's it, you know the way people are dressed. They're not dressed you know in like flares or crushed velvet or anything like that. It's they're they're, they're dressed like in, in timeless kind of clothes, and the the way it's filmed looks kind of timeless. Um, it, it's not really. I don't think it's like a dated piece at all. I mean, I think anyone who um, who's ever like moved away from where they're from. Uh, we'll we'll find sign we'll be able to kind of relate to this story to some degree. Um, perhaps not the fact that you know Charlie's become successful and is you know really wealthy now, but I mean anyone. I mean you two have both kind of moved away from where you're from. You, you know when you, when you go that time when you kind of you go back and you see someone in the pub or you see someone you know uh, just just knocking around who you've not seen for years and you say hello and as soon as you say. You know, they they ask you, "Oh, where where are you? Where where are you living now?" And you say something like, "You know, uh, for for me, a few years ago, it would have been, oh, I've, you know, I'm, I'm I'm in London," and you know, it's it's always that kind of immediate kind of the to kind of take a step back, and it's almost like, "Oh yeah, well, what what are you doing there?" kind of thing. <laughs> and and it, it's that thing, isn't it? It's you, you kind of go to a new place, and perhaps you don't feel at home there. And you come back sometimes to the, the the place where you're from, and you think, "Oh, well, I can I can kind of reconnect here." And it doesn't always work out that way either. You kind of, um, you know, you kind of in, neither in one place or the other uh, sometimes. And I think that's that's exactly where Charlie is. I think he needs to take his tax advisor's advice and uh, move abroad. <laughs> He'd probably be much happier move to Italy or something. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I I wonder if the ending, which we'll possibly talk about in a few minutes, is. Um, it is to do with him moving abroad. Maybe, maybe he has taken his. Maybe he was listening at the start of the film. We didn't think he was. I read an interview, and they originally wanted to kill him off at the end of the movie, but That's they said right, that yeah. would have been too harsh. Um, so yeah, it was a bit of a sort of metaphor for in the balloon sort of flying away. Yes, uh, he's, um, he's he's escaped, I suppose. Uh, I, so they 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 didn't end up going with the Silent Night, Deadly Night ending then. Where and that ending is just you know character arc whereby you know bad things happen to the character throughout the film and at the end they just die. As <laughs> don't you blanked it from your mind, haven't you? Both of you, you have. <laughs> I understand. Don't worry. So yes, no that that is true. But they they, um, they did want to kill him 
off. I think it was he was going to be pursued by reporters, so that maybe that's why there are a couple of scenes earlier on, you know, uh, at the house where the reporters are kind of after a story. I think the original oh, ending yeah. was that the reporters were going to kind of pursue him, and he was going to have a a, a, a crash or you know car roll off a hill or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think I, I do think that would have been too much. Um, yeah, he's obviously a chap who's having some problems, and I'm not sure if killing him is the is 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 the thing to do with him. Perhaps he just needs some time away, which is which I think is probably what the the ending is uh, is all about. I, I suppose we should talk about the ending then, because what happens that the following day, um, uh, just down the road from where from from his ex wife's house, where he spent the night, because obviously he's very tired after. After looking for his son for several hours, um, he spots this giant hot air balloon, and it's you know it's it's quite a I suppose the ending just comes from nowhere really. Um, so he 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 walks down towards the hot air balloon, climbs into it, climbs into the basket, you know he drops the sandbags off the side, and you know off he goes, off he goes, and there's there's, there's a few shots of the balloon flying away, and uh, and the credits roll. That's it. So I mean, I, I I do think of of the two possible endings that that is a, that is the more suitable one for for the character of Charlie Bubbles because he can come down again if he wants to. I don't know what what did you two think about the uh, the ending? It, it sort of fitted in with the whole film, didn't it? Because there are surreal elements through throughout the film, certainly. But yeah, it leaves you to give to to leave you know it leaves you to make your own mind what what happens to him in the end. Does he maybe he lands in Italy and he's got his he's got his tax dodge in Italy and he's he's happy again? You know, he's got more money. Yeah, it might be yeah, a, bit, a s- bit of a trip. You know, I don't know if he's got enough fuel for that. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they do they don't just travel by by air alone, do they? They do need some fuel. Um, yeah, Rob. What did you think of the uh, the ending of this film? I was actually um, uh, worried uh, for Finney himself when he got in the uh, he got in the hot air balloon because he definitely <laughs> does it himself, doesn't he? You know, like in, you yes. always hear you always hear about Tom Cruise hanging off a cliff by by his like toenails um, or hanging <laughs> up by parts of his anatomy. I mean, with this, you see him get in the balloon. There's no camera. The cameraman films him from below. Um, he throws the bags out and he starts taking off and I'm thinking, shit, you know, what happens if Finney never got down? But obviously he did because he went on to have a great career. But um, <laughs> yeah, I thought the ending was great actually because it's it's very enigmatic, the ending, isn't it? And, it's, and it leaves it open and it's kind of, um, what what other way could you end it, really? Because it's not a film about a journey as such. It's not a film where it's going to solve everything. It's, about, it's like a snapshot, isn't it, of, yeah. of someone's life? Um, you know, a few days in the life of um, Charlie yeah. Bubbles, and also he's, he, uh, one thing just occurred to me: is Charlie Charlie Bubbles' name again could, couldn't be further from uh, the, the, the his kind of surname Bubbles couldn't be further from his uh, his temperament, his personality. It, yeah. It's almost like a <laughs> complete juxtaposition. But it depends um, how far you want to take the metaphor. Is it? it's like is the bubble popped and all that business? Yeah, is is he is he is bubble is Charlie Bubbles away on the bubble? Is is that the hot air balloon? I don't know. I'm I'm sure there are academics who can can read <laughs> much more into this than, uh, than I can. I love the names in this film. I, I love Noseworthy for the sort of nosy sort of house housemaid <laughs> and. Uh, Yes, what was it Smoky Pickles? Smoky Pickles, uh, yeah. I mean, because he, he does smoke. He he smokes more than anyone, doesn't he? And um, he's I suppose he's pickled. Come come the end of their their day out in London, isn't he? He's uh, kind of comatose. And, uh, at the end of that. Yeah, 
And Charlie Bubbles sounds like something you would say to somebody who's a bit of a bit of a tough word, a bit of a Charlie Bubbles over there. Yeah, yeah total true. Charlie Bubbles. Yeah. And um, it's um, Liza Minnelli's character is called um, Miss Hayho. That's quite humdrum. It's funny, isn't it? Because she's like a lively, bubbly character, and she's called Miss Hayho. Hayho, yeah, uh... Miss, Miss Humdrum. She could have been called, I suppose. I think it's um, quite. Um, I mean, the ending. Um, it, it says a lot about you what you choose i mean part of me wanted him to make it up with his ex because it it seemed that she really understood him i think there's a few scenes where where it seems like they've they've still got genuine affection for for each other but Mm. i i do think in some other scenes it implies that perhaps too much has happened um or you know too much water's gone under the bridge for any kind of you know meaningful kind of reconciliation Mm. it's almost like at some point she feels sorry for him um she's kind of getting on with with uh her life at her end but He's, he's, he's much more of a mess, yeah, I mean, but that's he quite, should be the one kind of holding it together. It's a little bit heavy-handed because she's um, becoming self-sufficient, isn't she? She's like, uh, everything she's doing for herself, and, and Charlie's the complete, Charlie can't be self-sufficient. He doesn't know how to. He's achieved success through a talent, but it's not bringing him what he wants. Uh, whatever he does. It. And the thing is, he doesn't actually know what he wants, does he? That's, that's the whole no. thing. That's why getting in the balloon at the end, he just doesn't, he's just floating away from everything. And it's, I think now, if they made this now, this would be a film about someone having like a mental breakdown, wouldn't it? I don't think it was really mentioned yeah. uh, at the time, but that's that's the angle it would uh, it would definitely take now. I think. I think they'd try too hard for laughs, wouldn't they? I think something like the Farrelly Brothers or something. Or uh, sort of Judd, Judd Apatow would pick it up, and, he'd, and it'd be. Full it, of- it sounds like an Adam Sandler title a little bit, yeah. doesn't it? Adam Sandler, Charlie Bubbles, <laughs> <laughs> and it'd be so, it'd be trying to. And it'd be someone like with Rob Schneider. Yeah, with Rob Schneider playing um, pickles. <laughs> <laughs> now, actually, I would I would pay good money to see that. Come on, Universal, sort it out. <laughs> but that's just it. That's just, it's it'd be very unlikely to get a full release um, if it didn't have a tied up ending. I mean, there's not many films leave it this open, and then you you could get away with that. I mean, it's uh, uh, but. I'm glad it is that way. Actually, it would have been. Yeah. You would have felt cheated. Actually, if like he'd, he'd sorted everything out or fixed what he had to fix. But. I mean, I think apart from everything else, um, I, I think this this film it's it's Albert Finney's only directorial effort, and I think I'm not entirely sure why he didn't do any more. But it seems like he's got some talent but behind yeah. the camera. It seems like mm. he's something of an auteur, and it, it 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 comes together really nicely in some sequences. Um, and it, it's nice, like you said before, Rob. It's nice and short. It's ninety minutes. It just, it's just about long enough to kind of maintain a whole interest. It might, it might be a bit mean to pop the uh, lately deceased Albert Finney into <laughs> the morgue. I, I don't know. Uh, let's let's see what happens. Back in the morgue. <laughs> <laughs> There's no escape for Albert. Um, no, Albert Finney, of course, one of Salford's favourite sons. One fact, another interesting fact I found out about him was yeah. that his dad owned a bookies in Salford. And continued to own a bookies in Salford for many years after, after he was famous, which I had no idea about. Um, so yeah, he obviously maintained some kind of uh, connections with the uh, with with his northern roots, um, would be my guess. But um, yeah, anyway, a, a, a great talent is you know it's 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 great that someone someone like him you know comes from comes from the area of Salford. And you can say, oh yeah, you know we've got we've got Albert Finney. Uh, he was in. He was in Charlie Bubbles and Skyfall and uh, also, Miller's Crossing. 
He's got. He had one of those. He, I mean, he, he was a handsome guy, was he? But he, he, he definitely had a tough paper on because he he always looked similar. I mean, he's thirty one in this film in Charlie Bubbles <laughs> when he when he when he played Charlie. Um, he's got that kind of face cast in stone, hasn't he? Slightly. And then he didn't. Yes. Actually, he didn't actually age much. Then, if he, I mean, obviously a bit grey around the sides, but for the next fifty years, uh, obviously, except when I saw him playing Scrooge. Um, that's his his Scrooge is brilliant, by the way. That's really good yeah. One. That's a really good film, I mean, isn't mm. it? Yeah. So what's it gonna be, boys? Does this one rot in the morgue or make it on the helicopter to freedom? So I'll. Who should I start with, Lee? What about you, Lee? Um, what do you think? Is this is this one for the morgue or are you gonna? There's there's very obvious metaphor with this one. I think. Uh, yeah, what what I know, are you going to do with this one? Um, for me, I enjoyed the film. I thought um, it was some great acting performances there. I thought Colin Blakely was really good as Smokey Pickles and uh, Billy Wilder. He is good. And uh, you know the, the supporting cast, even Liza Minnelli. I'm yeah. not a huge fan of Liza Minnelli, but she was she was pretty good good in it for her first acting she performance. Really I'm a fan, fan of comedy, so there was good wit all the way through there. There was a con- economy of dialogue, uh, which is always difficult to pull off, so I appreciate that. And some arty shots, the uh, security screen footage. You know, I would imagine it went on to influence, like Rob said, you know, quite a few films who use that style. And yeah, it's got it's got an interesting message, certainly something that it leaves you thinking for the, the old adage, money doesn't buy you happiness, but there is always that counter argument of, well, give me all your money and I'll see if it, I'll see if it <laughs> makes me happy. You know? I'll let you know. But yeah, I would, um, yeah, I, I was completely not aware of this film. It was a pleasant surprise. I love seeing Old Trafford in 1967. It was, uh, I think they were playing Chelsea at the time. So it was good to see. Cause I, I would imagine it wasn't developed that much between the sixties and the early nineties when I first started going, cause I'm a United fan for my sins. Uh, so it was great seeing the Stratford end and everything. And Hume, obviously, before it was developed, uh, that was great. Just, just like you say, as a historic word there. Well, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Changed. Changed, yeah, maybe. And I like the kind of surreal sort of ending at the end. Yeah, I think that was that was clever. And yeah, I think what, what I'm going to say is his air balloon lands on the morgue roof, but there is a helipad on the morgue, morgue roof. <laughs> And he he gets helicoptered away on the helicopter to freedom. Where, where's he going though, Lee? Where where is he going to go on the helicopter? Where's his next destination? He's going to have he, he's going to have a, a tax dog dodge year in Italy, I think. Yeah, he's going to, he's going to go to a nice villa somewhere. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks, Lee. Uh, Rob, what about you for this one? Yeah, I um really you know like similar to Lee, I was really surprised by it because I didn't. I was you know I've not, it's a film I've not really heard about. And um, obviously, I knew I've seen quite a few Finney films, and they always quite like him as that. So, but, um, but it really surprised me all the way through. And uh, I loved the car as well. You know, again, we're going back to cars like uh, when we talked about the Wraith, but the car's beautiful, isn't it? And it's quintessentially very British, even though Rolls Royce is not probably British anymore, like most things. Yeah. Uh, and his, it's 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 so brave. I mean, if you think about it, only probably a debut director would go for some of the silences and some of the choices made um, because as you get more jaded and you get more criticism and maybe some of the, although it was critically praised, it probably did knock him in the teeth a bit. They didn't get released through like Odium was like the big release across the cinema. So mm-hmm. most of the public in the UK didn't get to see this film at the time. So no. it, it probably not, not, not much him. release in the States either where it was actually released a few months earlier, um, yeah. but yeah, not, not a big release there either. 
and that's probably it. He probably just thought, you know, could focus on what he is, which is a you know fine act. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was lovely seeing Manchester. Actually. I mean, to see um, the old Piccadilly Gardens. If anyone's been to Manchester, and we just think how much better it was. The only problem with Piccadilly Gardens is it became dirty and messy. It could have been tidied up, mm-hmm. but it didn't. Instead, they put loads of concrete on it and put a fountain and made it, you know, made it really just like look something like something like a. Communist Russia, so it's 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 not um yeah it's a shame actually and and I know and it shows um yeah and I love that like kind of that travel log about it and some of the scenes and the balloon scene as well was kind of not expected it really took me but then at first it was like you know an ending like that's so up in the air literally up in the air pun and then uh and then you think well what else could they do with it really they couldn't really do anything else so um. Yeah, as far as the mark, I think he jumps in his <laughs> gold Rolls Royce, uh, and even though the actor Albert Finney's died, um, as he dies, he puts his foot down on the pedal, and he he bashes through that military base barrier, <laughs> and he manages to get to the other side. So um, yeah, it's not one for the mark. It's definitely um, if anyone, especially any of our American listeners. Give this film a go because you will see a side of England you will never see in films. You won't see again. You know you won't see London buses and telephone boxes and big bends every five minutes. You will see a side of Northern England, which you know, bits of it are still there, but it really it's it's great just for that alone, and it's uh, it's a really fun film. So yeah, definitely. So the Beat through the barrier and he's survived. No morgue for the uh, for, for bubbles. Great, fantastic. So uh, no morgue for Charlie Bubbles. Um, I, I think you've said most of it, you two. Um, you've both mentioned the silences. I, I do wonder if I, Albert Finney had been watching the um, you know, spaghetti westerns that were quite popular in the mid to late 1960s where you know, they're pretty much lots of scenes in, in those films are dialogue-free kind of affairs. And there's lots of scenes in this where people are just kind of looking at each other. There's, there's a scene... Um, Early on, that we should we we didn't talk about where the cars getting filled up with petrol. Oh yeah, and there's yeah. there's a scene with the petrol attendant who's a familiar face. I couldn't remember who he was, but he's, I've seen him in other things. Um, and he's kind of looking at, um, you know, they're what they're watching him kind of put the petrol in, uh, wiping the windscreen off, and then another car pulls in beside, and they they kind of look at each other and give each other a look, and it's just a really entertaining little scene without. There's a couple of little, you know, pieces of dialogue like, oh, you know, fill up the tank kind of thing. Wipe the screen. But, um, yeah, yeah wipe mm. the screen. But there's literally, you know, that's all. That's all. And they've, they've got that, this whole little, you know, um, this whole sequence uh, uh, around it. It's um, very impressive. So I, I do wonder if perhaps he'd been watching Spaghetti Westerns where they kind of, everyone's giving each other like these kind of funny looks uh, without saying anything. Um, yeah, there's. I, I, I certainly would not put this in the morgue. Um, I, I love watching this film just for the historic. It's historical value, um, if nothing else. I do like. I do like Albert Finney in most of the things that he's in. I've never really seen him in a bad. He's a bit hammy in some films, um, but he's. Um, he, I'm certainly a big fan of his work. Um, and and this as his only. Um, he, he joins like quite a, quite a list of um, famous actors who've only di- only ever directed once and then never did it again. Um, Marlon Brando uh, did this. Um, the actor called Charles Lawton did it, who directed um, Night of the Hunter. Um, Gary Oldman. 
Gary Oldman. Yeah, so he's, he's, he's a Neil very, Bob very Bob esteemed Bob. company. Who was that other one, Lee? Did he say? Sorry, I didn't hear you. Uh, it was Tim Roth as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Gary Oldman did Neil by Mouth. Correct, yes. So he's, he's in very, very esteemed company. You know, Gary that's all social thinking, yeah, because he basically should have quit after a lock stock, but yeah, carried on. Yeah, poor guy. Um, and um, yeah, so so for me, I think you two have said it all really. It's it's not going in the mode. I think what I'd like to happen is I'd like to send this film away on the balloon, perhaps all the way down to uh, wherever it is Smokey lives in London. It kind of drops (laughs) drops off on. Perhaps if he lives in a you know in a in a block of flats, it could land on the roof. Um, Charlie can go, you know, go down the stairs, go go and knock on for smoking. They can have another another fantastic day out on the town, and um, you know Charlie can tell him all about his his weekend up north that didn't go particularly well. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, so for me, certainly not. So another one saved from the morgue. We saved two today from the morgue, so we saved over the top at the start of the episode, <laughs> and now we saved Charlie Bubbles. So it's a it's a good day. It's a good positive day. I think. Yeah, um, now you two. Have you have you chosen a film, Rob? I've chosen, yeah. I was um, because you got me in this British vibe now. Um, <laughs> and at first, at first, it was I wanted to do something which is quintessentially very British, which is, uh, and I watched a documentary recently on the rave scene, and I wanted to find a film about the rave scene which really was true to it and not all hammy. So I looked at loads of them, like Layer Cake and Lock, and um, 24-Hour Party People and Human Traffic, and there's loads more. And then I, f- I came across one I've not seen, and I've not watched it yet because I want to save it for the podcast called Beats, which is from, uh, it's from 2019, and it's about these two Scottish lads in 94, and it's just at a time when there was an act delivered in England it's a comedy drama, and it's an act delivered in England which banned raves and banned that a repetitive beats was part of the law. That was the wording of the law, and the soundtrack for this film looks incredible. And it just and it's these two friends who are about to head very different ways in their lives, but they've got this one this one day you follow them on where they head into this illegal rave, and it just it looks every review I've read about it sounds sounds great. So it's right up my street. So that's what I'm going to go for beats. So it's uh, yeah. I'm disappointed. It's not Kevin. It's not Kevin and Perry go large, Rob. I'm disappointed. (laughs) Yeah, it's. I mean, one thing to watch out for with this film. It's it's filmed in black and white, but it's it. There's color in it. The color comes from the radio because the radio is everything. Um, so there's like um, obviously the radio is the big key thing and the music, and apparently once they hit the. uh, the rave, that's when the music really kicks in. It becomes, yeah, and, and the, the hallucinations and everything else it takes. So, yeah, it's definitely, um, yeah, it's, I'm looking forward to it, actually, because it's like Charlie Bubbles. It was a film I've not seen before, so it's uh, it's good to do one I've not seen. Good stuff. Look, looking forward to watching that. I've not seen it either. Um, is, is it one that you've seen, Lee? No, I must admit, I've missed a lot of those. I've not even seen Human Traffic, oh, you know, so it's, but I do, I like electronic music. I love electronic music. It's just something I've not seen yet. Yeah, I may, I may, I may post on our, on our Twitter account the the link to the trailer for the film because the trailer alone gets you because the music it's got fire starter comes on it um and then these two these two lads these young 16 17 year old lads going absolutely off the face in their bedrooms um you know this one escape from their life the music and uh yeah it's 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 quite um for me especially at that age it was so into my music and uh 
And it was such yeah. a big part that, yeah, it's, it's, it's a film I'm really looking forward to seeing. Excellent. Okay, guys, let's um, let, let's wrap it up then, shall we? Um, thanks yeah. for listening, everyone. And um, again, if you've got any comments on our on our podcast or our choice for next time, then please do do drop us a line. If there's anything you'd like us to, uh, any films you'd like us to talk about or review, we're we're more than happy to take uh, take submissions. So yeah, we'll 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 bid you all goodbye for now. Hope you've enjoyed listening, and um, we'll see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.